everyone from beautiful Merced, located in the Central Valley of California. Thanks for being with me on this journey. I try to not be boring when I preach or teach, write, or podcast. I know you do too. As much as we might joke about it, none of us really want to be the solution to insomnia. We want to change lives. That's why we said yes to the Lord's calling. That's why we enjoy it. That's why it drives us. That's why we find passion in it. It's why we go to school for this stuff. We read books and articles. Yes, even listen to podcasts. Yet largely, we're not really taught how to communicate to people. We're taught to communicate a subject. We're taught the subject matter of the Bible. We're taught Greek, Hebrew, translation theory, exegesis, systematic theology, church history. And if you're like me, you had maybe one or two classes in seminary that actually put the science of exegesis into the practicum of homiletics. Anybody else identify with that? So we have to figure this out in the field while our poor congregations are now the subject of our experimentation. (laughs) Furthermore, we want to communicate like our heroes of preaching and teaching, and that's good. You got to have heroes. You got to have mentors. You got to have people you look to to teach you these things. But the problem with that is I'm not always so sure they know how to communicate with people either. Let me explain before you click stop and unsubscribe. If a worship leader walks up to you and asks, hey, did you hear the new worship song from Wren Collective? Your answer is probably no, because like most of the population, You don't listen to worship music 24-7 like a worship leader does. That's their field. That's their profession. They're expected to know that stuff and to listen to that stuff. And in the same way, we listen to preaching and preachers as professionals, as experts in the field. We are evaluating their ability based on the academic standard we've been taught. Let me break that down. It means we're not evaluating that like the person sitting in the proverbial pew. We're evaluating that based on the student sitting in the classroom. So what would happen if I dropped this emotional hand grenade out there? You ready? I feel most seminaries have taught us incorrectly. Are you still with me? I hope so, because I intend to prove this. I feel like most seminaries have taught us incorrectly when it comes to communicating. Let me give you some examples. Do you want to be boring and not connect with the sheep the Lord has called you to shepherd? Then I'll give you three quick points. First, walk up to the podium or the pulpit and say, open your Bibles. Second, once you do open your Bibles, give an exegetical lecture where you basically just dissect the text for them in the same way you did in the study. Number three, Provide no application or my personal favorite, say something to the effect of the Holy Spirit will show you what to do with that. Now, 
Let me break those three points down a little bit for you. Let me give you a a lecture, an exegetical lecture on those three points. When you walk up, point one, and say, open your Bibles, we think it's conveying an importance for the Scriptures, that it is telling the congregation that I am standing under the authority of the Word of God, and that's absolutely true, but that's actually not how they perceive it. That's how we as academics perceive it. That's not how they perceive it. Number two, when we just give an exegetical lecture, we are assuming so much pre-information that our poor congregants, by and large, are lost in our technical prowess. Now, they're really impressed with us. If I get up and I start quoting Greek and Hebrew, it sounds really cool. I mean, it sounds like, man, no wonder we're paying this guy. Look at what he knows. But does it actually you know, solve the problem of their marriage? Does it actually tell them how to be a better Christian? Does it actually help them know how to put the fruit of the Spirit in their life? Does it help them share their faith? Point number three, when we simply provide no application, we are simply assuming that they know what to do with it. And we have a lot of hyper-spiritualized reasons for acting that way. I mean, come on, guys and gals, let's be honest. That's how we're taught. We are taught to teach that way. I mean, we can probably give a topical sermon or two or why that's supposed to work. I mean, we could do a whole message series and a teaching lab on why that's supposed to work. And if it doesn't, hang on, friends, if it doesn't, we professional homileticians will simply blame the carnal nature of our congregations. Is anybody listening to me? Because I've heard it done. Sadly, I've done it myself. Do I have your attention yet? Aristotle said there are two ways to present an idea, deductive and inductive. A deductive approach is how most of us are taught from seminary. You present the idea, and then you give points to prove it. That's the way we're taught. It's a logical approach. You stand up and say, open your Bibles, and then you say, I'm going to talk to you today about X, Y, Z, and you tell them your subject or you read the passage and then tell them the the big idea, the point of the message, and then you give point one about that and point two about that and point three about that. And if you're really creative, you have a song or some kind of illustration or a poem or something, you know, the proverbial three points in a poem. That's, That's a deductive approach to presenting a biblical idea. An inductive approach is like completely turned upside down. It presents a point and a proof, and a point, and a proof, and a point, and a proof, and an illustration, and then gives that big idea, that main thought, like as close to the end as possible. The difference, one is boring, one is interesting. And I know I'm speaking in extremes. You're going to write me emails and say, Joel, you're being too extreme. I admit it, because I'm trying to make a point, because I'm trying to get you to think and walk down a journey Because not enough of us test our methodology. We just simply accept it because that's what we've always been told. And we never stop and think about how do the people in the pew feel. I'm trying to help you see how they feel because these are the flocks that we are taught, that we are commanded in Scripture to lead. Now, this means with this deductive-inductive approach, that means there's really only about 
you know, two or three things you can do with an idea. You can either inform people about that idea. That's deduction. You, know, you tell them, hey, here's the idea. You can help them believe it. You know, that's more persuasion. And that's where the idea is really, uh, you're presenting it more towards an inductive approach because you're persuading them now. The third one is you, you can show them the consequences of that idea. And that's more of an inductive approach. It's more of a thing of, I'm trying to show you what happens because of this idea. In a recent Doctor of Ministry seminar, I was blessed to study with a great communicator named Dr. Paul Borden. Paul Borden, I highly recommend you go out and buy everything he's written. He's just, he's phenomenal. I'm telling you, it's going to rock your world. It's going to challenge you. But he's a brilliant communicator thoroughly evangelical. So if you're not in the evangelical world and you're listening to me, that's my disclaimer. But if you are in the evangelical world, he's one of us. And he stood up on, uh, I think it was the first day of this seminar. It was a preaching seminar. And he asked this question. He said, when it comes to preaching, what do you teach? Now, we're a bunch of good seminary-trained doctoral students. We all know the answer. We said the answer, the Bible. We teach the Bible. And he knew we'd say that. But it isn't the answer if you want to not be boring. Now, folks, let's be honest. If people are not paying attention because we are making the Bible as boring as a trip across the desert of West Texas, then we're probably pushing the line of having faith that God will work and the foolishness of testing him with our lack of ability. And in the American church, we have elevated the method of preaching to nearly the same prominence as the actual content of the message. I have heard, I kid you not, search the internet. If you doubt me, you'll find YouTube videos. You'll find messages from church websites. But I have heard topical messages given on why an exegetical approach to teaching the Bible in corporate worship is the superior way. The irony of that is it's a topical message about exegetical preaching, but the point I'm trying to make is that is elevating our methodology of communicating to the same level as the actual message you're trying to say. And when that method is a method that intentionally makes people bored we don't connect. Now, some people are going to push back on that right there and just go, well, it's not my job to connect. Okay, how about this? It shirks our responsibility as the ones who must feed the flock. If they're not paying attention because we're making it as boring as watching paint dry, then we're not feeding the flock, are we? And there's only so much we can do to blame them. There's only so many excuses we can make before the master is going to call upon us to give results. And it makes it someone else's job to connect the truth of Scripture to the life of the Christian and the non-Christian. One thing I am convinced of, more so now than a few years ago, I am convinced that so many 
wonderful, God-fearing, genuine Christians are led astray into some very strange and wacky theology simply because we as a church, as a whole, we have done an abysmal job of connecting the truth of Scripture to the life of Christians. We've simply said the Holy Spirit will help you figure it out. And we've kind of dumped it all on them and dumped it all on God. We can do better. For the sake of our congregations, we must do better. And to me, this isn't a a theological conversation. To me, this is entirely philosophical. I don't care if you're in the Reformed camp. I don't care if you're in the Arminian camp. If we care about feeding the flock, then we need to improve at our craft. We need to improve at communicating the truth, the beautiful truth of God's Word in a way that people can take and they realize that when they take it and they taste it, they see that God is good. And we're going to be looking at this over the next several weeks, a journey that I have gone through, a journey I continue going through. And I want to leave you with this today. What I believe is the correct answer to my professor's question. It's what he spent the week proving to us. And it changed my entire preaching style. It changed my ability to connect. It changed sleepiness in the room to engagement with the Scripture. I saw more light bulbs come on in the room. I saw more people whose lives genuinely began to show outwardly the truth that their mouths were confessing. And if we want to not be boring, we must answer this question question, what do we teach? We teach people. And I understand the cognitive dissonance you're feeling with that sentence, because that's not how we're taught. That's not how many of our heroes of preaching and homiletics tell us. That's not what a lot of the preaching books tell us. That's not what a lot of the articles tell us. That's not what a lot of the podcasts tell us. We teach people, and we teach people the Bible. We are teaching them a very set content. We're not just teaching them any random stuff. We're teaching people the Bible. And because of that, we're not content to say, hey, you go and you figure out what to do with this. No, no, we're feeding the flock. We're teaching people the Bible. We're teaching people that Jesus died to redeem, and we're teaching them the message of who Jesus was and the great lengths God has been going to and running after humanity since Genesis chapter 3. That's what we're teaching them. I want to leave you with these two things you can try over the next few weeks until we're back together. First, do what I did. I had to do this to get this in my head. Write down these words, I teach people the Bible. I teach people the Bible. And put that wherever you normally write sermons, maybe in your office, maybe in your home, maybe at your coffee shop. I teach people the Bible. You need to see it. You need to write it. Don't type it. Write it. Something powerful about your hand writing it. I teach people the Bible. Now, the second thing I want you to try over the next few weeks really comes out of that one. It's kind of the first 
in a sense, a deduction, as it were, from that statement. Don't let yourself think you're finished with the sermon until you can write down the answer to one critical question. So what? That's the question. You're not done with your sermon until you can answer the question, so what? Because that's what 90% of your congregation is asking. So what? Maybe they're a skeptic, and they're not sure how this Christian faith thing works, works and, they're, and, and they're sitting there going, so what? Maybe there's someone who, who has been burned by the church, and they're sitting there on the back row, and they're crossing their arms saying, so what? Maybe there's someone who they're trying to discern God's call in their life, and, and if they're supposed to surrender to a call of ministry or if they're supposed to go on that short-term mission trip, and they're sitting there and they're asking, so what? So what? Don't let yourself think you're finished with that sermon until you can answer that question. So what? Because we teach people the Bible. Thanks so much for listening today. So glad you're a part of this journey, and I hope it helps. As you work through those two things this week, drop me a line. Let me know if they help. And we'll be back soon with talking about the next steps that we need to take to not be boring, but to connect in a life-changing way. God bless you. God bless your ministry. 